Welcome everybody to the Cult of Dave Podcast Network. New chapter this morning in the battle against Ebola. Nickelback are back. The multi-platinum band has just announced a new album and a North American summer. Until you see the flaming bubble, you ain't seen nothing yet. What's up? This is Adam Patterson. Back dead. I just was saying, hey, I saw the number. I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to call these some bitches up and say, what's up? So, uh, y'all keep it real. And it seems like me, but some bitches going to sell me and come to them sounds good or be good. Now, like what it cost me. Something good for ya. All right, guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Something Good For You podcast, where the two of us sift through the bullshit to try to find a little something good to give you each and every single week. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Alex Stiff, and across from me, as always, we've got Captain Nun. Hey, y'all. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. so, some bitch ain't as some bitch as Adam let us in with that nice little voicemail he left us. Dang on man, Megalo Mart went boom, man. <laughs> and we've also got Tony Leone with us back for his second episode. Hello, Alexander. <laughs> Cap. Long hey, time no see. What's up, Duder? It's not like I didn't see yesterday, right? That's right. <laughs> Tony and I've been partying all weekend. What y'all been doing? I've uh, been getting Hanging out at Steve's, uh, tracking uh, Tony's nephew. He's yep. got a little project he's got uh, going oh, shit. on. What you got going on? What's what's that? The my little nephew. I say little. He's a he's actually pretty six foot. He's ripped. pretty swole, actually. Yeah, <laughs> twenty years old, but phenomenal songwriter. He'd put out kind of some stuff on his own, terribly recorded, you know, in his basement. And right. I said, for I think it was Christmas, I bought him some time at Steve's. And I was like, get down here and record. It was Alien was the first one, right? So that was when we started putting some teeth behind it and Steve's eyeballs got wide and he's like, <laughs> how do we get him down here? And so this has kind of been the, the fruits of those labors and he'll be moving down here soon. So we're happy oh, about shit. it. Yeah. Hell yeah. And, well, uh, cool. DJ and I've been, uh, the rhythm section for, uh, all that. That was the first time I've ever performed with DJ, but I had never met him in person. Really? <laughs> while doing those first sessions. <laughs> <laughs> well, hell yeah. So you're finally infecting the rest of the family and getting them motivated with music and everything else. That's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. That is truly something good for you. <laughs> <laughs> this show is also brought to nice. us. <laughs> this show is also brought to us by Repo Record down on Commonwealth Avenue. Definitely check them out at Repo Record on Instagram or www.reporecord.com. Definitely tell Jimmy that you heard it on the show and he'll definitely treat you nice and hook you up with anything that you need. Did not actually make it out to record. I was about to ask. I did not. It was raining. I want to stand in the fucking It was pretty gross. I go there after this. Mm hmm. Is that place wiped clean after record store day? I'm not a record store day partaker. I'm normally not either, but. Is it going to be like. Like, have people ravaged through all the good shit or do they only pick up the limited release stuff, you think? I really don't know because. Uh, Repo always does have a little bit of back stock from past record store day collections, and so do you know some of the other stores here in town. And I've been able to pick up stuff way after the fact, but it seems like some of the big ticket items, like I remember a few years ago, um, Green Day released like some sort of demo EP that they put on cassette tape and on vinyl, mm. and. I was actually in line that day to pick up. I think there was a Ramones issue or something. But by the time I got to the crates and was just slipping through to find the Ramones copy, there were no Green Day vinyls really? left at all. But there was plenty of Ramones ones left. So, and, and I think they had a relatively same amount of pressing 
uh, quantities. Got it. So I don't know. It really just depends on the band. Uh, there was uh, Misfits one a few years ago. They released an album with like a 3D cover almost. And hell, you could still find copies of that shit. And that seems like something that would fly off the shelves. You know what I feel like I kind of lucked out on in my collection is... Uh is a copy of the Biters record on vinyl with everybody in the band signed off of it because some of those aren't even streaming anymore. So yeah, I feel like I look, it was like, it's like, oh, that sucks, but huh? <laughs> no, I'd actually uh, just posted about that on Instagram like last night. Earache wound up taking off all Biters. What? Well, Earache is the reason they had to be on hiatus to begin with. Wow. Yeah, and I don't know the juicy details of it by any means. They haven't really like spilled the beans on that, but it's definitely on the label that Such their uh, split happens. It's amazing to. that that can happen these days. After what we yeah. know about how you can get taken advantage of, and I, I've only met Tuck once or twice, but he seems like a pretty bright dude. Oh, definitely. To let he knows how the how the industry works yeah. for sure. And the, apparently, Eric's had a really sketchy history. I was listening to an interview with a guitar player from Rival Sons. They had a release on Eric, and they more or less got the same treatment. Really? Yeah. So that seems like an issue with that really? label. Yeah. Now, because I posted that, and Matt Gabs, their guitarist, he yeah. responded to it. Just immediately, he goes, "Fuck Eric. Those are the ones that put us on hiatus." Wow. So. You Apparently know, there was some issues with the rights of the name biters and the songs that they had released through that catalog. Cause Tuck made some big post about it a week or so after, you know, they kind of had to go on that indefinite right. hiatus. And it seemed like the main gist of it was they weren't allowed to book shows. They had to go through earaches management or something to that effect. And it was basically keeping them from performing at all. Right. And they were trying to get out of it and That's they weren't crazy. allowed to get out of it's it. It's weird how you'll get seduced by that shit when you're trying to make the push in rock and roll. Right. Yeah. I remember when we thought we'd gotten really close and, the main stage manager for the world's loudest month, which is like Carolina rebellion and all those things gotcha. yeah, yeah. saw us and they like cornered us and we're like, Oh my God, we're starting this uh, agency. We want to represent you guys. And we're like, okay, that's one degree of separation from who would be booking these festivals. Right. It seems like a pretty good idea. And it just fell apart. It was almost kind of like the beginning of the end of our process. So, or our band, I should say, but you get seduced. You say, I'll never do this. I'll never let, <laughs> let release control. And as soon as it comes along, you're like, well, maybe just this one time. Well, it's not it even happen. really that. The one thing I hear constantly, because even though we are nowhere near close to being anywhere successful to the point we would need to pay attention to this stuff, I still listen to music business podcasts simply because I'm interested in what the higher tier bands right. are, you know, what's going on. And the number one thing I hear every single time is every band with good intentions still does not properly read their contract. Yeah. And that's how they wind up getting screwed over. In right. And those 360 deals and all that. Well, it's even not even the 360 deals, but sometimes there might be one line in that contract that says your ass is ours. Little sure. You clauses. get to hold on to this, that, and the other, but you don't get to separate from us and we call the shots. Yeah. And what's tricky about that, especially let's talk sales negotiation. Cause that's my world too. Excellent. If you don't have other people, vying for your business mm -hmm. let's call the band a business you have very little negotiation power so i'm trying to publish a book luckily i can go solicit three book publishers they're self-published people so they promise you different things but i can 
not play them against each other, but say, hey, look, I have alternatives. Tell me what your method is. One is they get a royalty on the book. One is you get, we don't take a royalty, but you have to print. I mean, mm-hmm. so you get to really dig down into the nitty gritty. When you've only got one, it's very scary. You feel a little bit pinned up. You're going, it's kind of like you feel like it's take it or leave it on it. And then besides that, imagine most uh, young musicians aren't equipped to handle the negotiation side of it. No, not yeah, at all. And don't that, have a clue. And one of the things I hear a lot in those shows is it's important at least to even hire a one-time lawyer to read over the contract. Yeah, who the hell has the money for that? I mean, literally. You could, or, That's I not, remember in rock and roll, like the early years mm-hmm. when you're like marketable. You can't even scratch together 300 bucks to, for a run of t-shirts sometimes. That's why I'm curious to, to know if uh, the Greta Van Fleet kids have just uh, family money behind them. I'm sure this and, is the parents. Yeah, and just like that's what's, great. What's going to ha- and what's going to happen to them when they find a, find out about those clauses that are going to like rob them do y'all blind think, eventually. Do you all think there's a big difference between a band and a brand? No. No. I mean, it depends on, uh, well... Even if somebody's trying to far to try to get that a real far away from a brand, they eventually become a brand by doing that. Like say Neil Young, you have a certain image of Neil Young in your head. That's kind of his brand. Just yeah, gr- grumpy old. Uh. <laughs> so with that in mind, do you think it's even important? Because what you were saying, you were you felt that you were on the cusp of you know being able to take that next step in the music world. Do you see? a big management company or a larger record company even beneficial for a band these days it coming from cuz you are in sales and marketing right so isn't there an ability to kind of apply what you do to the band side of it and take out that middleman of management or record label or anything else maybe i mean let's be real about what you're looking for when you look at music management okay it's access it's access not, to be able to reach It's access contacts. to other people. It's shortcutting yeah. the phone call to people that can make things happen. And it's it, in our genre especially, but in almost any genre, it's a weird conundrum where you're marketable. Mm-hmm. First of all, let's take it from when you're 16 in your first band. You're not good enough to be famous. Right. No. Then you start to get kind of good enough and you look good and you're marketable, but you're still broke. You still don't know what you're doing. You're still like, oh, I can live in a van for the rest of my life. I don't care. Right. There's that piece. And then you start getting older and we're like, this has to happen or else. So this is all I know point, how to do. And yeah, like that. To that point, you may be unmarketable. You're starting to like really get nervous about where you put your resources. So in terms of taking a business approach and asking someone like, like me or, or someone to help negotiate, I would always run it by a third party who's not emotionally attached to what you're doing. Right. That's the biggest thing. Uh, not your mom, not your dad, not your friends. Whether it's a lawyer or you go find someone at a networking event that is a business person that's run a business, say, put your eyeballs on this, that you're not emotionally attached to it. That's right. the biggest thing I would say. Find that person and then move forward. And is and the funny thing is is that makes one hundred percent sense, but it feels like a lot of bands almost bristle at the idea of they have to become a brand and they have to become marketable. 
that's a huge mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I've, I've noticed that because we've run into a few scenarios where, because I kind of have that train of thought anyway. One of my favorite bands is Kiss. Duh. I'm going to look at a band as a brand. I'm going to look at the marketability and I'm going to look at making sure a logo looks good on different articles of clothing and it looks good on shit. I'm going to pay attention to that. But it still falls under what we like. And it feels like people get confused with becoming a brand and selling out and not becoming what you like. If you're mm. truly marketable, you're going to be unique and you're going to do it your own way. That's what makes you marketable, right? Not following yep. the herd and, you know, cheapening yourself to, you know, do whatever later on, which I think we'll dig into a Especially little bit later in this conversation. But, right. <laughs> but I think that is what makes people marketable. And I think that, People in general just need to understand that that's not such a dirty word. You can make your individuality marketable. You know, you of don't. Of course. And I don't know. I think I, now so more than ever. Especially if you have an audience that you can pump pump to no matter how big or small. They'll, uh, they'll appreciate it and that'll inspire you to get more creative with it. Yeah. I don't know. But like I said, I think we'll dig into that a little bit later on. But we do tell people all the time that we do have a voicemail hotline number that they can call us any time of day, any time of night, and leave us some voicemails. And that phone number is 513-463-7439, where we ask you, what's on your mind? And Tony, you're no stranger to this voicemail segment. <laughs> yeah, I got to right. First of all, I've come fully equipped to defend my position on Buck Cherry. And okay, well, let, let's go ahead and do that now. Let's I'm do that now. also thinking that, you know, John and I have only crossed paths, right? We've never, like, shaken hands. Right, and, right. Uh, I love his, his, his band. I can't wait to play with him. We're playing with him in... Uh, like mid to late June at Tommy's. Oh, yeah. The Grey Rolls will be playing with them. Thank you for inviting us, boys. Appreciate it. With that said, I feel like it's going to be like war on the shore. We should start like this huge Twitter beef <laughs> between me and John. Like, <laughs> hey, man, like, let's do it. I'm like the son of Jersey kids facing off against this redneck piece of shit who doesn't like Buck Jerry, right? Watch out. He'll grab you by the boo-boo, yeah. send you to church. Yeah. What is that? Send your dick up into your pocket watch? Not, not, knock your dick into your watch pocket. Oh, my God. His, off the mic, he was saying all kinds of... All kinds of just fun shit like that. Dude, he, I love that, man. I definitely want him back. I want Cody back. And I'm glad I've got you back. Yeah. But defend your Buckcherryism. So, the, first of all, the album that grabbed... Grabbed the, you by the boo-boo. Yeah, grabbed by the boo-boo. <laughs> it was... Let me know, I think it was 1999. It was their self-titled album. Was it the one that had like lit up? It's and the all one that has lit up. See, that's not a. It's like Motley Crue, where it's like Buck Cherry has jams, but I'm not a fan of them by any means. You got to remember what was happening in. First of all, I was and they were an anomaly for the time period. I was I a. I was a senior in high school, so it's 1999. All right, what's going on in high school in 1999 musically? <laughs> that's in sync era. Britney it's Spe not good. Britney Spe yeah, <laughs> Britney Spears it's, era. Yeah, exactly. Very specific. And uh, Hard Rock was Kid Limp, Rock. Limp Biscuit. Yeah, Limp Biscuit. All well, that see, stuff. But, but to me, Buck Cherry doesn't feel that far of a stretch from Kid Rock. Oh God. 
I can, you could definitely see that bill. It, it feels like the same audience. <laughs> no, it's no, the no. same tap it out monster dra- energy no, drink. Come on, y'all, hop up in the pickup truck. But they're the most rock and roll version of that, though. That's I think what that's it why. is now. That's what it is now. But those two, it was, it was kind of like the the people that wanted a new Motley Crew. Who would want that? <laughs> like, I guess they were a rock and roll anomaly for 1999. Yeah, and then. Look, then they their second album was not very good. Then the third album, which was what fifteen or something, was they had really, like Crazy Bitch and all yeah. that. Yeah, and then Crazy Bitch isn't the favorite song of Buck Cherry fans, but the rest of the album was really good. So if you <laughs> wanted to just go to a, a show where it was sleazy balls out rock and roll, there was hot chicks in the crowd. Josh Todd's a great front man. It was never a boring show. That was what we. That was it. And yeah, and I don't dog him for that at all. I just I just don't like the songs all that much. I like the guitar playing. The problem is the majority of their catalog is not very good. So there's like right. the next five albums which were but, but direct. Maybe what I was bringing up in the show was what even motivated you to give them that shot again? Since you said that, like, there was a span of what five or six albums. Yeah, so, you so didn't Devin like. sent me Devin, of course, <laughs> sent me a text message like, "Did you hear a new album?" And I was like, "You're kidding, right?" Because <laughs> they posted that single of Nine Inch Nails cover. <sighs> I still haven't even given the so album a shot, so I can't really say anything. So I listened to it, and it just sounded like vintage Buck Cherry. It's nothing to get overly excited about. I'm not like waving the Buck Cherry flag. I'd be on the fence of going to see him again, but you're just like, but you Buck know, Cherry the, album. Like, you know, the live show is still going to have all those radio hits yeah, from those albums. I know, and that's kind of what's disappointing about it. When I, I think I was really catching the tail end of them live, where they were still just on fire stage show, but. Look, no, and I to feel each like, his own. But I, and I feel like I can find anything good in a band. And you made me fucking play one of those songs. And and the one thing, <laughs> the one thing you told me is you're like, dude, it's just a Kiss riff. Because yes. uh, what is it? Lit up. I love that character. Whatever that yeah, song yeah. is. Yeah, it's basically shock me. <laughs> right. It oh, really yeah, is. They play Kiss style guitars. There's nothing wrong with but, but with that, any of that. But at the all. riff in that song is essentially shock me. <laughs> Think about this. Buck Cherry is basically like the something good for you version like of, of <laughs> rock and roll. Wait a minute. Wait Think a about minute. It. Whoa, whoa, I whoa, told you whoa. I put something good for you on when I want to like not think about anything. Right. And right? I take that as a compliment. Right. It's I want to have a beer in a shower. I'm going to put on something good for you and like not get too serious. Exactly. Buck Cherry was... Oh, I'm, it's Friday night. I'm going to go out. I'm not going to get too serious about it. I'm going to have a beer in the shower and, and get jazzed up to go out. That was what you'd put a Buck Cherry album on for. So you I guys are basically, you're the Buck Cherry of podcasts. I still prefer the <laughs> junk food of podcasts. I think we kind of determined that you one know on what? the phone. I, to, be fair, I used, to be fair, I used to do shit like that with like fucking Motley Crue albums with my friends and shit. Have you watched the dirt yet, Tony? Oh, yeah. What did you think of it? I love being, being a Motley Crue fan. Yeah, I give it a, well, I read the dirt. Right, which was a page turner. Uh, it's compelling read. Yeah, it is a compelling read. <laughs> I also have another compelling read, which circles around the Buck Cherry Motley right. Crew. It's called "The Last Living Slut" by Roxana Shirazi. All right, it is a um, interesting. It's basically the memoirs of a uh, groupie. I was about to ask, and she is an open, <laughs> open woman about her 
everybody. Yes. <laughs> Promiscuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's interesting read. This it's like his dick was so big. His dick was not so big. <laughs> <laughs> not too far off there, Cap. <laughs> I thought it was good. You know, it was. Um, for you know, it looked like a low budget film, so good for them to yeah. pull off what they did. I thought Machine Gun Kelly did the best job. He was fun. Uh, it was a tearjerker at some point. So, so, like, I forgot about Vince's daughter. Yeah. So, I think they captured the essence of it. For those that read the dirt, you look, they can't put some of the stuff in there that's in the dirt. But no, but it feels like it's, a lot of that movie was still just exaggerated. And, that, and I yeah. have an issue with it that if you're saying glamorized. this is the true story, that's right. how they're promoting it. So it's like if it's the true story, make it true. It was a very glamorized version of the quote. Was there unquote, was there any story. was there any moment in it where you were just like, eh, or were you just pretty overall impressed with it? Pretty overall impressed. Sweet. I'm just a crotchety asshole then. <laughs> <laughs> that's been getting mixed. I didn't have like high that. hopes of it though. I think yeah. that's probably what my expectations were low. I'm still like my expectations were low, and I was. Surprised a little, but it's still just the overall arc of it. Still yeah, but just... you don't like Motley Crue. Yeah, it's, so you... it's mainly Nikki Six. Vince Neil doesn't like Motley Crue anymore. He has not done any press for this movie. <laughs> Did I tell you the time I saw uh, we were touring and I was in Vegas and I was having uh, tacos at Vince's restaurant? Yeah. And I saw Vince Neil. Really? No. With um, uh, who's the actor who played. Who's the fiery skull guy on a motorcycle? Oh, oh Nicholas Cage. Nicholas yeah. Cage. So yeah, those two were buds. That's the uh, yeah. weirdest yeah, combo. Was that was the whole thing a so couple they of like, years ago. They like walk out of the back room and they like walk right behind me and I just went Vince and he turned his little fat ass. And he was like, What's up? And I was like, and I remember thinking, what is Nicholas Cage and Vince Neil and Vince's fake titted wife gonna do this evening <laughs> like i just like started playing this in my head and i was like hmm, I bet that. that's also the same day oddly enough i'm walking down las vegas boulevard with grayson and i see this nice looking tatted young lady coming down they have these escalators that come down onto the walkways okay and then there's this bald dude with this big goatee and i'm like Oh my God, that's Carrie King. And so he walks right by me and I go, Carrie! And he fist bumped me and I was like, yes. <laughs> I will not wash this hand for a week. Pretty much. So in one day I saw Carrie King, Nick Cage, and Vince Neil. <laughs> and then it was probably the same time period where uh, somebody uh, got video of Nick Cage and Vince Neil getting in a fight. That was great. <laughs> and that then was bro so hugging funny. out. Afterwards. That was one of those things where it's like you look at Facebook and you go, what timeline am I in? Yeah. <laughs> look, Vince Neil's a genuine piece of shit, right? Like he's the wrong kid died. Like when, he, <laughs> like, like yeah. when you see the Razzle thing and the, yeah. you're like angry, you're angry. And, that, and, and the thing is, is Razzle's families actually came out and they were not very happy with the way that was portrayed. Either. Well, yeah, it's terrible. And then he, when they got in a fight, it's because he was beating up on his woman. Yeah. Vince. I mean, he's a terrible person. So you, there's no why, reason to glorify him and it's just that's probably why he's just drunk all the time yeah he's probably <laughs> shit yeah that, I, I still love that everyone had to remind the world that Vince does not sing well love <laughs> Big Mac one all three <laughs> what <laughs> <up>? <laughs> Yeah.
What was fun, this crazy-ass conversation, is our voicemail segment. And um, a few episodes now, I've been bitching about customer service, whether it be through PayPal or dealing with Sprint. <laughs> People have been asking, is, like, is that going to be a thing every week? I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> no, because I'm not calling customer service for fucking anything anymore. <laughs> but our listeners still work in the field or used to work in the field, so one of my old co-workers had to call in with some war stories. And Tony... You working in the field of sales, I'm sure you have to deal with some annoying people that you just would rather not have to deal with. Every now and then. <laughs> so let's at least see what David has to say, and let's see what the crap we've gone through. Hey, guys. It's David, man. I know you guys are talking about customer service and bad experiences. And, man, after working years in customer service, we probably do a whole podcast, miniseries, or even its own show. But... uh Man, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. Uh, one of the big things that always got to me working in customer service is how many people just flat out don't understand how shipping works and that once something's left a business, the people shipping it don't have any control over it. It's on the post office, FedEx, UPS, whoever. And it seems like so many people just don't get that and it's hard to get it through their heads. Anyways, guys, have a good one. Bye. I find that interesting. I actually blame Amazon for that shit because Amazon has their own shipping companies. You see the Amazon trucks around mm -hmm. now. Everyone, now they got robots. <laughs> now everyone thinks that companies that shit send shit out, they're almost hand delivering it, especially if it comes to them fast. Once it leaves the building, we, a company genuinely has no control over that anymore. Well, there's so many. You can't just put. This is going to be the most boring conversation ever if we go down this road. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I deal with this on a daily basis. There is I work a. Too. I'll give you this. Your customer service conversations are entertaining, but we're we we're totally ragging on you yesterday at the studio. By the way, that's fine. Go ahead. We what were, we like, were talking about. I could just. We could all picture you who aren't here in this room when you're talking. Like how you like get all shaky yeah. and shit look man you can't DJ control that shit like, i know dj brought it up when we did the punk rock flea market thing he goes dude you shake all the time i'm like i can't help you it get, don't make fun of me no 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 <laughs> i can see it, you getting worked up over your customer service like <laughs> well see here's the thing man and especially on the receiving end or the giving end i honestly do try to be patient with these fuckers right but for some reason, it's always me. Because again, with getting my wife's phone upgraded, went through just like that. There was yeah. no problems at all. This is so. I tell my dad this all the time. Okay, he's he is. Give me the result, not the not the why. Right. And but my mom and I always say the person you're yelling at doesn't a mm -hmm. care, mm -hmm. b have control over it. Yep. But he's going to go. They need to go tell Mister X, Y, and Z. No, they're not. They're just mad that you're yelling at them. I mean, look, you can either Amazon, first we got drop shipping, which can come from Alibaba. Yep. Right? <laughs> that, Wish. Right? <laughs> That's one. Then you can have a company that chooses their own shipper. That's two. And then, the, and then my God, my parents, they bought a, this is going to sound insane, a $5,000 toilet. <laughs> okay, so... 
sidetrack. It's the way my brain works. Yes. Like, What's pause. the difference between, you know, okay. a hundred or two dollar toilet and then So I've yeah. sat on said five thousand dollar toilet at the other house <laughs> and it is magnificent. It just, it just cradles my butt cheeks so well. So first of all, you walk in and it'll either sense that your feet are under it or your heels are there. So you can like turn around and the the toilet seat lifts up. The seat is heated. Right? So it is. You sit on the seat and it feels great. It's got neon lights in there. Yeah. And there's no there's no like flush handle, there's buttons. Well, let's just go ahead and assume that you're on this throne to do the number two. Right. And when you're done, now you look around, there's no toilet paper. Why? Because the toilet does it all for you. So the first button you hit, <laughs> I know this is great, <laughs> is this one warm water straight shot. Right. So it's bidet. like a bidet or some shit? Yeah, but it's like, it's more accurate than a bidet. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. The most, I remember as I'm sitting there, <laughs> like as hard as y'all are laughing is how hard I started laughing when it hit my butthole. It was like, and it's nice warm water. <laughs> and so... It, accurate cleaning. Accurate cleaning. <laughs> then the next button is like an oscillating, like, uh, water. I feel like you're feeding me a lot of bullshit I'm right not, now. I am not. What's the, what's the wrong white bit? I am not. Three million gay men can't so, be wrong. <laughs> so it gets a targeted, then oscillates so it gets around. And then the third one, can any guesses? Dries. It blow dries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I really feel like you're feeding me a line of bullshit no. right now, Tony. No, no, no. It's very elaborate. No, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay. So it was so good. <laughs> at my parents' new house, they bought another one. Well, FedEx was the one who delivered. And FedEx has now done this thing with Walgreens where they you can get things shipped to Walgreens. And that's where you pick up right. your shipment, which is weird. And it's been an awful partnership, apparently, with them. Because the amount of back and forth that my parents went through to get this new toilet shipped to the lake after all said and done it was cracked in like a hundred pieces so they call fedex to drop a claim fedex says well the the company that that had that made the toilet Mm -hmm. didn't pack it right so they denied the claim and my dad literally said i speak to thousands of people a year he sent this message to like the the senior VP of customers of HR (laughs) on LinkedIn and gets a personal call from this person. And they're like, we've taken care of it. (laughs) But it went, it went weeks of them like going back and forth that they were threatening not to reimburse this. And it's clearly dropped a million and squid like, like as bad as you can imagine. So shipping's, frustrating but it's because of the shipping company and the it person is. who's on the phone gets the gets the brunt of it no but people will always like with what he was referencing people will call us up first thing and go my package says it's delivered but it's not here why are you telling us right contact the fucking post office <laughs> that delivered it now i would contact the the shipping company first wouldn't you i mean that's usually how it works with well what with uh what we do they'll uh just because we have our, uh, we put our company name on it and everything, right? Too, with the phone number, so it's just always um, customer service department first. Then sometimes it'll get to us for 
to like my boss's number or like my individual like business phone too, which I never get phone calls except for just random things. Do you like think that, that maybe it's because sporadic. it's that it's because it's an indie company that they feel that reaching out to that company they're able to do Possibly. something different than what maybe a major company could do? Yeah, I'll say for us, like if they buy a book from me, yeah, and it gets lost or something. It's just so much easier to go I'll overnight one to you. Yeah. And 40 yeah. bucks later, it's over. Like the opportunity cost of wasting your time and trying to find a $20 book and trying to blame. I got stuff to do. So for us, that's the beauty of kind of running your own show. Mm-hmm. You, you solve it quick. The customer's super happy. They can't believe that you did that for them. And you don't have to talk to anybody. So I could see in some instances where in the past they would call a company like ours and like, oh, man, they just went and took care of it. Like, that's one yep. thing that people then market. Right. Right. Other people are kind of nickel and diming stuff. Yeah. And I, and I would definitely say that's more the background of what the the company that we were for. Right. P&L is like everything and mm-hmm. down to the penny. Yeah. So yep. that's the kind of shit we'd have to deal with. So, so we I couldn't that... immediately just go, oh, we're sorry. We're going to ship you yeah. another one. Because so a lot that. of times they may order like two and three hundred dollars worth of material. And now they're sitting here going, it's lost. Sorry, man. We're not going to immediately reship two and three hundred dollars worth of product to you. Right. We, we got to go through right. the steps. Makes sense. <laughs> you got to reach out to the folks first, see if it was delivered to your neighbor, see if it was left on the mail truck. And guess what? Ninety nine percent of the time, that's what happens anyway. Or got stolen. I live in a pretty nice neighborhood these days and everyone's got those ring things. Mm-hmm. Once a week, someone's posting a, a package stolen and the video of, of some person stealing it yeah it happens and also word of note to folks placing orders if you place an order comment with specific instructions of where to deliver it that ain't going anywhere no one sees (laughs) that shit that's in the inside of the package we cannot convey that to the guy picking it up be like oh yeah hey john by the way this one package right here when it gets to the destination leave it on the porch behind the chair not that ch- doesn't fucking happen. Not not the chair on the other side of the porch, but this one specific no spot. No fucking kidding. They'll there will get be that, order, right? There will be order comments saying, when this gets delivered, put it on the back patio next to the green chair. I'm like, why, who do you think is reading that? They don't get a fucking list of this shit when they're on their mail drops going, oh, Susan wants her shipment in the backyard. I'm going to do that now. No, that doesn't happen. They put it on the front door and wish you luck because guess what? They don't give a shit. Our support team does that with stuff we print off for labels. <laughs> <laughs> This has become a segment. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> now, anytime someone just brings it up, we'll find a new way to talk about it. Cause I hadn't talked about that yet before. Oh, man. Well, there you know. go. We're from customer and service pl- to getting your butthole dried. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the Something Good For You podcast. Yep. We're the junk food of podcasts. Not the of podcasts. Not the buck cherry the- of podcasts. <laughs> Where the fat kid food? Uh. <laughs> no, because buck cherry was the, in my mind, because you were saying that they were doing something different in my mind they were the epitome of following a current trend because they saw what wasn't happening and put it back out there that sleaze rock motley crew thing and they created that trend because again as i was saying i don't see too much of a disconnect between them and kid rock and kid rock was already kid rock real popular. Had that vibe anyway you'll see the same audience at motley vocal crew and, uh, kid rock concerts god i remember when that what was that album that put him on the map with cowboy American on it, American badass, yeah. or something like that. <laughs> Whatever. I remember some dude. I was uh, walking into wrestling practice, and this dude was playing, it and I was like, "What is that shit?" And he was like, "It's Kid Rock. This is the best. This is the hardest music. It didn't ever help. Did. That dude was the douchiest guy on the team, 
<laughs> and I was like, I, I quickly made the association. Then it was a game over. I kind of, I kind of did too. It's always that one douchey, like, uh, uh, we, I call him uh, Brentwood Cowboys, just the rich, uh, rich kid, uh, farmer's uh, kid that never did any real farm work. <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. No, and that that maybe is uh, something I want to trail off into a bigger topic of conversation. Um, since I do follow Kiss and such I, on their message board, there was an artist that never really got too far. His name was uh, Benny Doro. Okay. And um, Paul Stanley was managing him for a minute. And one of the things he told him was that the trend is your friend. Meaning, for a new artist, if you're really wanting to break out and make someone of yourself in you know, the current music scene, you need to follow the trend. And essentially, that's what's going to you know kind of send you up into stardom. Right. And I kind of wanted to think about that because with talking about buck cherry and such even though that may be not them following a trend they almost created a trend and then a lot of bands kind of piggybacked on that and followed definitely in the uh, early 2000s and i don't know let's kind of examine that a little bit more just just the overall sentence of the trend is your friend how does that hit you cap like what what do you think of just that statement in general without really digging into it i think it? uh well in I'm going to use today's uh, day and age as an example with uh, everybody has to be on Instagram. Everybody has to have a social media outlet if you're mm -hmm. in any entertainment form whatsoever. It's definitely trendy, but it's the most trendy and anybody can do it. And you actually trailed off into something I was going to bring up a little later on, which is I kind of want to combine all of this to look at overall trends, not just necessarily in music, but what you were saying, social media, right. um, clothing even. I'm just, is the trend truly your friend? Yeah, I'm just using trend as as, as overall yeah. anything. So how, so how did that kind of hit you, though? Do you, do you agree with that or disagree? Uh, to, uh, on certain extents, yes. Okay. And there are definitely extents to where it wouldn't be beneficial for you, but but that's after you, uh, how you... Figure out how to identify yourself and your brand too. What would you say, Tony? Uh, I say it hits me as a yes. Okay. In this day and age, because it's probably the first time where monetarily it can it can benefit you immediately. So let's just say that you're following some sort of social media trend in the fitness world. You could decide that you're gonna hop on that trend train yeah and then have a way to monetize it especially it hits your bank account in six months I'm, was it you guys that was talking about the girl that sold uh private so like yeah she the outcome was bad for her but think about she you know probably nice looking girl sends a lot of photos about her workout routine mm -hmm. capitalizes very quick amount of time if she had done it right she could have made a lot of money so that's a good way to say the trends your friend the, the old school like you know 18 year old me punk rocker yeah uh it's like no right <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but yeah. i think if you're to look at it at face value now the 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 caveat to that is how good are you at identifying what is a trend that will stick around right or not because i don't think there's anybody out there that wishes they could rewind 10 years and realize that facebook's not a trend it is a staple yeah yeah so that was a trend but when does it not become a trend right exactly so that's probably the better discernment and and i feel especially in the music world um what people may feel are trends is exactly what you're saying just kind of becoming part of the norm um i wasn't even really going to bring that topic up but i had a conversation with that's a guy through though. through facebook that 
maybe this will launch it a little bit further through the staple. His his, his initial uh, uh, status was dear bands. If you're going to put out an EP, do it on vinyl. People only listen to CDs in their cars, and an EP just ain't long enough. Okay. Yeah. And I agree. I agree with that. Well, we had some back and forth, and I said, well, it really just comes down to money. I said, don't you think we all, as a collective of bands, would love to put our releases on vinyl every single time? I said, but, you know, sometimes you may be only able to afford six songs in studio time and a CD pressing. So shouldn't that be commended for a band continually hustling and releasing new music? And he goes, well, vinyl is really, you know, taking claim of the music industry again, which... I've been kind of studying, and that's still not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Right. It when, is to an extent you, for like a very specific audience. There was there was an article from The Verge, and just a quote from here, it says, the popularity of both physical formats, meaning uh, vinyl and cassette tapes, yeah. um, have been reported for a 66% vinyl sales over the past three years. But the issue is those releases are from Michael Jackson, the Beatles, Fleetwood Mac and Pink Floyd. The only one that breaks that trend is the guardians of the galaxy soundtrack. But guess what? That's all old songs, right? So vinyl is dominating the physical market again, but it's dominating it in old songs. It's dominating it in all the best selling catalogs of every artist that already was best selling. New bands aren't selling the vinyl. Right. Guess where the money is? And people don't want to admit it, but it is in digital. And they want to complain about Spotify. They want to complain that, you know, oh, they're not really, you know, you know, paying out the artist properly. As me as an indie artist, I'm thankful for Spotify. I'm thank even though we barely see any revenue from that digital stream, there is more value in that now than there ever has been. Because if you get circulated in the right playlist, people follow you and they mm-hmm. listen to you. And the handful of people for that niche market of wanting to buy vinyl will pick it up, but there's more value in being heard than receiving income from it. Well, let's be honest. It's they're mistaking growth for market share, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The vinyl market's growing and that's good. You always want to be in a growing market, but it's not dominating market share. Digital's dominating the market share and who the hell's look Ford this year will is now having a car with no CD player. Yeah. Or was it even last year? But I, I remember hearing about that. A couple that. Of years now. So think, that's yeah. going to be it. There's no... So what are we, counting CDs and cassettes? Of course it's going to be dominating the physical marketplace. It's the only one people are going to buy, period. Yeah. So it just... That's kind of a moot point to me. I mean, we put out a vinyl because it was personal. We wanted to have exactly. it for ourselves. Yes. And a lot of the time, people want to put out vinyl... You know, as a little personal trophy. Yeah. Yeah. And and of course, that's what he was saying. He said that he was a lot more apt to purchase a vinyl and listen to that more often, even if it was an EP. Because I asked him, I said, you know, coming down to it, would you prefer a CD with four songs on it or a seven inch with two songs on each side? Mm-hmm. And he said the seven inch with two songs on each side. And I said, OK, I said, so you, you do prefer the doing something around the house, having to stop, go and take care of it and flip it over and do something else and then go back to it. And he said, yes. So it really does come down to what you personally feel because he was also going, you know, they don't count, you know, all those sales numbers you were throwing out don't really count bands that sell records at the milestone. Right. And I'm like, just because our friends are purchasing vinyl 
doesn't mean it's still dominating the market. That right. means our friends enjoy the niche. And yep. so if we're following the trend, though, who's to say the band that spends the money like you guys did on the vinyl, but you're counting on that being the trend the, for us to it sell was, it? Yeah, it's we haven't sold. Well, we don't play a lot. And I've lost my knack for uh pitching merch mm -hmm. but it's the only merch we have it was like you know what we don't need another t-shirt of our bands we don't need we're not trying to make money in our band we're a bunch of old old heads <laughs> at this point right we're just doing right. it for ourselves and for making music but the vinyl's the only thing we sell yeah we said if you're gonna sink your money into something a it's got personal value to us and then for the people that do want to take something home you know, the, whether you like it or not, the vinyl is a memento more than anything these days. Yeah, when I is. buy a vinyl from a, a band, I, I'm that guy that likes to get them to sign it. I do that too. And, and it's the only time I've ever been like that. But it's like, whether it's a small band, a big band, I just like... I went and saw Lee Fields back in the day when he was going to Tremont. Oh, Glory Fires. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen him a couple times. Milestone. That's where no, Lee Fields and the Expressions. You're thinking of... Um, Oh, Lee Baines. Lee Baines. I'm thinking of Lee Baines. Lee, Fe Lee Fields is a soul singer. Okay. And uh, by the way, if you haven't checked him out, I'll definitely do something that. good for you. Excellent. <laughs> but super old school soul singer. And I got, I bought a vinyl. He's back there selling vinyls. And I'm like, man, it's great. Get Lee Fields to sign it. And now I pull it out and boom, it's just staring me at the face. Nice signature. Reminds me of my time with with my wife on a nice date night and a soul. Like, so it's a memento, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's something to remember it by. But in terms of, did I do it for a trend? No, not really. Yeah, you did it for yourself. Yeah. And, and what I find that that's what winds up setting people apart. And that's also where the marketability comes in. Because what did you just say? You didn't have any other merch. You've just right. got some vinyl. Exactly. And that bare bonesness, there is a marketability in that being like, we are just a rock band. We release music and we put it on a format that we grew up with and we know and we love. This that's is it. us. And I feel that I don't agree with that statement really much at all. And we can even pull it into what Cap was saying with social media. So we may giggle at when uh, Wendy's starts sending out, you know, sassy tweets or something, you yeah. know, or <laughs> they're very or, good at it. Or when they Arby's, really you know, does some food art, you know, with that, they're being a little original with that. But then when HP takes like a meme format and then tries to make it about their product. Say like that's when it gets a little weird. Uh-huh. Okay. So you know like the uh the meme of like the guy on his computer and in the background the wife's kinda at the door doing that and it's always some sort of, you know, he's ignoring me for this sort of thing. Yes. I'll see a company do like, you know, come to bed. No, HP's running a new sale and I have to check it out now. It's like to me, that's when following a trend goes way off fucking you know what's target. You know what's gonna happen? That's totally gonna happen in the twenty twenty election for campaign ads. Oh god. <laughs> oh my god. No, but I feel that's when those sort of things fall off the uh, rails, and I almost feel like Greta Van Fleet is a prime example of someone following a trend right now because that's seventies music and the whole sixties clothing and everything. That's hot, hip, and trendy right now. So what comes out on the market? Yep. A Led Zeppelin wannabe, which is fine. Yeah, I mean... To an extent. Okay, so here's the question. We asked if it's good or bad. Right. Okay, Look well then where, let's use Greta Van Fleet as the yeah. example of a following a trend. Do you see them as good or bad? No, no, no. Not do I see them as good or bad. Okay. What they're doing 
And that's oh, what is I'm, it good or bad? And that's what okay, I'm reluctantly right. embracing too. So because it because it's they're doing better true. than we are. And that is true, but do we want to label success by money? Depends on who you are. I do. Okay. No, <laughs> I, I, would, I would agree. I would agree. I, I look at ex- as far as like uh, Greta Van Fleet uh, example of success. Um, opportunities, bigger opportunities. That's yeah. kind of what they're on right now, and I see that as success. I mean, with that said, I could never have seen myself being in a, a band like five finger death punch. Right. Yeah. I could probably find a way to pull that off, get a nice travel <laughs> tattoo and, you know, roid up, shave my head and, and, and stomp around the stage. Right. <laughs> and I'm sure any of my band members could have written a million riffs like that. So I didn't have it in me to want to do that. So yeah, I guess it's now we're getting on the, the like part of, I don't think Greta Van Fleet though, thinks they're doing something trendy i think they're doing they think it feels they're it feels I genuine to them least. it's genuine they probably found the led zeppelin record in their parents uh record collection was like mm-hmm. i want to do that and then they said how do we do that and they copied it and guess what the kid's voice is incredible they they can hang on on their instruments and the rest is history and, i guess and the thing yeah. that i'm reluctantly embracing too is the fact that they are young kids and they have a young audience who's going to go out and buy guitars now and form Greta Van Fleet clones. But something y'all kind of brought up earlier, I also am curious how much is of their own volition doing that and how much maybe there's a manager or oh, parents sh- behind oh, them I'm going, sure do this, t- you right. need to wear this. Like, I wonder I'm sure how much there's a crafted. little bit of that to an extent as far as management. Like where do you even get those clothes? Thrift right. stores, man. <laughs> Dude, and, and there's websites. That's what's nuts. That's true. And what's you talking about following the trend or like, you know, the five finger death punch thing. You can go online and purchase those patchy, like I multicolored. Know. Pa- I know you know. Oh, <laughs> I've seen. Before I get my shit. That's when, you, like, how you. Sp- you you uh, spot a fraud, man. Those guys with, like massive patches on their jeans. Yeah, that one. You know, one's gonna be the Iron Cross. <laughs> let's uh, let's actually that that does remind me of a little bit of a story we didn't go too much into. We saw a bunch of those. So a band that I was uh, playing with you in, we got to play Uproar Fest. Oh yeah. Yep. And uh, <laughs> he leans into the microphone. <laughs> and funny fact. Mm-hmm. Did were you surprised when they handed you the the rock star can and it had water in it? I was. That that was what? That was a little yes. disconcerting. They did the tea in the Jack Daniels bottle yes. thing with the rock star so energy. They have these coolers in backstage and you're looking at it going, It's a hundred degrees out here. I am not gonna pound a twenty two ounce, twenty four ounce rock star. <laughs> and I remember one of the the stage hands go, no, it's water. And I was like, so of course we're all up there with our, you know, I got a, I got a Budweiser and my water. You got you know? to keep the brand up and yeah. still hydrate. If hate energy made that kind of dough to put off festivals, yeah. I would make them do the same That's thing. Right. <laughs> and, it, and it looked like just the sugar free ones. So of course, in my mind, I'm sitting here looking at all these going, fucking score the sugar-free yep. rock stars everywhere <laughs> and I pick one up and printed very small right on the bottom it's like water i was like ah oh, son of a brilliant bitch. and but the thing was is at that show though every band sounded the same almost mm. yeah yeah it was that's except for us i don't know if it's the carolinas or if it's like that everywhere else when they go on those may runs yeah the world's loudest month or what it's called but 
it's just you can predict what's going to happen there. Buck Cherry would have fit right in. First of all, <laughs> I saw Buck Cherry at Carolina Rebellion one year. There you go. And <laughs> let me let me tell you this. Was it fun? <laughs> it um I think it was oh man, I cannot remember what band it was. It might have been like Fozzy or somebody. It was the year that the this monster storm rolled in on the Saturday. Oh. And there's two main stages and Buck Cherry is after it might have been Allison Chains. I think it was Allison Chains. That's what it was. Allison yeah. Chains was about to go on, and you start hearing the rumors that they're they're not gonna play. And I'm talking, there's like 30 mile an hour winds, the rain's going sideways. All of a sudden they announce Allison Chains is not coming on. And I'm not kidding you, five minutes later on the other stage you hear dan 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 And like there's this like mass run and like the drums are doing like there's water all over the drums. Josh Todd is soaking wet, and they're like, fuck it, we're playing. And I'm telling you, they were the last band to play that night. Got to give them some respect. Hey, you know what? That's rock and roll as hell, yeah. but <laughs> it's it still, still kind of dumb. Yeah. <laughs> we played in the rain. Shit, we did play in the rain. I was thinking about which show was that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but we it did. Like, but it didn't hit sideways. No, it wasn't raining hard, but it, it, <laughs> it was, was still bad. raining. That 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 made me a little scared because I am terrified of getting shocked on stage. I thought you were terrified of being wet around the neck. <laughs> I was whole, already sweating, so it didn't bother me as much. That whole day was fucking weird too with the rain. <laughs> I don't know what came over me either because I felt fine all day, but two songs in. I started needing to puke. And of course, this is like after I've like not drank anymore, mm -hmm. none of that. I just tried to stay hydrated with water most of the day, but two songs in, I was running off to the side of the stage, just oh, running back over to up. the microphone. <laughs> Should have right. played it up like this was like this curling was, on this stage. Was, <laughs> it, was, it was Mad Max backdrop. It would have worked. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I was trying to, it was already raining. I was trying to bring people in, not push them away. <laughs> right. It was like right as we're going on, it starts raining and people are like, ah, fuck this. <laughs> we hired a camera crew. Yeah, we were like, because it was an outside event. It looked oh, really shit. big. It was really cool. And then like, as soon as we're about to go on, <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> Fucking everyone dips out. It was the most Spinal Tap thing ever. <laughs> Definitely don't want to do that again. <laughs> did we wrap up the trend thing? Have, we did. Well. We we agreed to not agree on anything. Yeah, basically that's how. Okay, it so here's one thing I want to. I, I remember what I was going to ask. Let's do a little revisionist history. Okay. Because the trend. Let's take it back to the '90s. Was boy bands. Right. right. Okay. So, was that good or bad? Hmm. Well, it did create what we've got today being like, well, I don't know. We're, I don't think boy bands, that was just derivative of the 70s radio singer-songwriters. It's just no different than manufactured pop music done by record companies anyway. Right. I would say maybe any, even the evolution decade. of the singer-songwriters of the 80s with all the pop bubblegum hits. So I would say it's just the next evolution of that. And then what we have today is the Justin Biebers and the Miley Cyruses. Right, SoundCloud rappers and shit. I heard the Jonas Brothers are getting back together. What do you fucking do? <laughs> are, is that retro now, Jonas Brothers? Are, yeah. they, are, they, are they the classic? Uh, are Fuck, they? Well, NSYNC tried doing their fucking comeback thing, and no one gave a shit. <laughs> Justin Timberlake's like, y'all can... Keep, right. keep being poor over here. <laughs> All right, so here it benefited somebody, and that was Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Oh yeah, 
But he's talented. Yeah, so, he wanted to become an actor. And so shit, the talent, so, the talent just bubbled took, up. He just tried different things and managed to salvage a career out of both. Yeah, so I think I can't get mad at him about that. They followed a trend. Look, if they hadn't gotten screwed over by, have you ever seen that story? The guy who put Backstreet Boys together. Or, oh, uh, yeah. What is his name? He he had that, a hand in both. Yeah, I think he did. Instinct, instinct. But so if they didn't, can't think of taking it. that part out of it, they would have cleaned up and been like, "Jokes on you for following a trend." Right now, the output of it was awful. Jokes on us, or jokes on whoever listened to that right, shit. Right, 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 right. Um, you know, I think. Trends are about squeezing the moment, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and if if you're smart about it, you don't put all your eggs in that basket. And if it if it pops and has some staying power, you win. If it doesn't, hopefully you diversified whatever your thing is, right? right. Exactly. And you let's know, and let's take it back to what years. Cap was saying with okay. social media. Where does that what you're saying with Facebook, where does that line stop between it being a trend and I mean, you almost have to have a Facebook today if you're going to yeah. do anything to promote yourself. Right. So where, when does Instagram stop becoming a trend and becoming every day? When does Snapchat? I mean, clearly Google Plus failed. Right. But if you dabbled in, if you tried Google Plus but didn't let go of your Facebook and, and Twitter and LinkedIn, you're going, okay, but I didn't sync with the ship. Right. With MySpace, I remember y'all talking about that what like last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. If you if you were a band and you had all your marbles in MySpace, you sunk with that ship. Yeah. So I think the important thing is you you spread yourself out a little bit. It's kinda like investing, right? You can't have all your, your money in cannabis or gold or anything. You gotta spread it out. Same thing with how you promote yourself. You gotta kinda layer it all out there a little bit. Yeah. And then if one sticks, you know where to kind of 80 20 rule it right you put 80 percent of your time in in certain areas and who knows facebook and instagram may not be around forever there's going to be the bigger better thing well there's already outlet too kids are not on face like my nephew's 20 is not on facebook because he's all instagram he's Mm -hmm. not anti-social media he's just and i had a friend who who uh, is a speaker and he speaks at high schools and he said none of the kids are on facebook and seeing that uh, with Cap huh. coming to grips with Greta Van Fleet, that's something I've been slowly having to come to grips with is Facebook is kind of being abandoned for Instagram. I didn't want to believe that for the longest time. A few people told me that, and I'm like, no, you just don't understand the way right. this works. But the more I've been talking with people and the more I've been hearing it, and then the more time I spend on Instagram posting, there's a lot more traffic on there. My buddy who speaks in that market, mm-hmm. high school and pre-high school, they literally went, ew. You're on Facebook. You're old. Wow. I told you. (laughs) But for us who are, who are older, older, quote unquote, our market's still there. Like for me Mm -hmm. and for maybe our fan base, our market's still there. So it doesn't hurt us. But again, you and I spent some time before this. We, I'm having to come along begrudgingly. We're even talking about Twitter. I'm like, (laughs) I hate it so much, but I got to play a little bit. I was having this conversation this morning with Kelsey. Really? Yeah, yeah, she's gonna have to do. It's it's a necessity, like you said, for any creative outlet. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is but the one thing I've had problem with, I mean, I, I it's hard for me to get into Twitter, man, because and that's oh, because it. podcasts live on Twitter. I should be on Twitter all the time promoting this show, but I just I I don't like the format. It's hard to really get traffic, and it's hard to really see who's seeing what, and it's it's difficult to 
know how much time you should dedicate to each platform and figuring out where your main market is going to be when it comes to promoting yourself. And good because I don't use Twitter at all. It's just one of those things where it's like I know I would hate it. But then, but if the trend is going to be our friend, we should technically follow trends. And if Twitter is where the action is, maybe then, that yeah. is when it, it totally should. Tim Ferriss, who has a amazing podcast it's called mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss Show. I like Tim he, Ferriss. Yeah, he he uh, says he hates Twitter. And so, but he's got enough of a following everywhere else where he's like just don't even bother following me on Twitter. But he can say that because he's got 300 right. million downloads on his podcast. Yeah. But he said to someone, yeah, Twitter's like walking down the street and someone just punching you in the face for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how Twitter is. <laughs> like, why is it this, the dregs of society hang out on Twitter and just, there's nothing good to say. And Twitter's, I just, think that... catch, and Twitter's been catching heat lately too with uh, – their CEO going on various podcasts and kind of dancing around all the tough questions. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot changed with Twitter about two to three years ago, especially with the elections, because Twitter yeah. was on its way out. But with these last elections, actually really starting with the Obama administration, mm-hmm. it picked up a little bit there because he was the first president to be really active on Twitter. That's true. He would post things every so often, like a little selfie of him, you know, saying, hey, you know, or whatever. Yeah. You know, and he was also using Instagram. Inspirational quotes. <laughs> so... So Benny Doro has a Kiss tribute band. He was in one for a minute. So was Tommy Thayer, the current uh, guitarist for Kiss. Yep. No, but he had God. his own project that Paul was managing. But Terrible. so talking about, <laughs> you're over here not even like he's like looking up this guy that I talked about <laughs> in the beginning of the show, even though that was like, like the a, launching point. He's a chef now too, and he's winking oh. at me in his picture. <laughs> That's so Paul Stanley. <laughs> this is the most press Benny Doro has ever gotten. <laughs> Congratulations, Paul! You won again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. We're talking about the whole Twitter thing. It's it. I don't know. You, you totally made me forget my train of thought by pulling that up. I was leading into something. <laughs> oh, we're talking about Twitter and how it's uh, how weird it's oh, gotten. How it changed. Ever since our current president was extremely active on Twitter, and that's where he was getting his support. I feel that. Twitter just got brought on a lot of people that just like to bitch and complain. It's kind of like mm. the YouTube comment section. Everyone right. talks about never look at the YouTube comment section. It's full of just trash. It's because all these kids in their basement and moms, you know, basement just typing the shit on YouTube going, oh, you suck. Right. Now it's just 40, 50, 60 year olds on Twitter doing the exact same shit. Now, I know you, you two nerds over here wouldn't understand this story, but. There was a <laughs> there was a a story that came out last year about the president of basketball operations for the Philadelphia 76ers okay. who got caught with a burner account on Twitter. I remember that. Responding to people who were leaving negative comments. It was his wife too, wasn't and it? And him and his wife. Yeah. So his name's Brian Colangelo, but you I want you to think about this. And the Colangelo family are heavy hitters in basketball. Right. So this guy's worth millions. Yeah. And he is in there and all I could picture is him on a burner account responding <laughs> to these like 13-year-old little shitheads who are pissed <laughs> about the 76ers tanking and he is now has no job like <laughs> like are you kidding me like what is and he you has think, to get the last word yeah 
And I can think of this little 13-year-old going, hey, 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 I got him. <laughs> <laughs> I brought down the president of the 76ers. <laughs> <laughs> And that's really what it is, is, is preteens and fucking people in their 40s and 50s that just want to yell about politics all day. And that's what Twitter has turned into. So it's like, it, that's almost kind of what it got taken over by. And I guess that's also why it's hard to really build up a market on there. Yeah, but you do it for SEO. You that's do. it. Because it's it pops up on first page and that's what you do it for. I'm going to make a bold prediction that the 2020 election is going to ruin Instagram. Oh, oh God. No. This is not something good for you. No. <laughs> we said we were staying away from politics. <laughs> Fine, we'll make a hard shift from that. We'll just stray far away from politics. So, to bring it back to earlier in the episode, you're getting your, you said nephew, correct? Yes. Uh, some studio time. Mm-hmm. You've been doing some different stuff. Just uh, more studio work with the said nephew. Um, how many different studios have you, Tony Leone, actually recorded in? Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. What makes any of those different from one another? Because I'm sure they have been like different setups. Yeah. But what makes each one kind of a pro or con? Because I would say Steve's setup is very gorilla, DIY. Right. Yeah. Uh, you get a certain feel from that. But we ourselves have been to another studio where it was very nicely set up, separate sound more rooms. More toys, more pro the whole world yes. everything and actually I'll, i put a sixth one on there that i saw in la i happened to be in los angeles when the sex slaves were recording what they were really hoping to be their breakout album it was like right. their last shot before um call eric wild, went right? to go be in, yeah call the wild yeah. nice. uh, i actually ended up calling eric and he was like we're doing gang vocals so i got to go to this guy's studio who had uh platinum records from like rob zombie and and a couple other bands oh, he's yeah. put out some heavy hitters and it was and in his it was in his uh, not basement but like a detached part of his house so it was nothing any more than what we see in a lot of the places we we uh, record so the simplicity of it seems to be pretty standard mm-hmm. these days yeah someone's basement someone's house set up uh, what differentiates it is okay, what is the person really an expert in when we did basement studios with Jamie King mm-hmm. his thing is drums. Right, he. You know, you're gonna get the best drum tracks. I should say, you're gonna get really good drum tracks. Now, right. for what we did, I can go back and be a little upset that we quantized those drums, so right. it, was, it didn't have the swing of raw. But it's your first album, you want to make sure that it's not. You don't leave anything to chance. It was a good place to record. Right. But hourly, you know, he's very, he's time consuming, so it costs a lot of money. And you want to put out the best possible thing too. Yeah. The first one's always the biggest. So go with low risk. That was what we kinda did. And Jamie's really easy to work with. And then we went to one guy in Raleigh where we tried to do analog. Mm-hmm. Uh that was kind of a shit show. Really? Yeah. Was it just him not understanding the gear or Yeah, I think that was part of it. He was like uh... one of the only guys that had analog in North Carolina. Got it. And um I didn't. I don't know much. I don't study the recording process as much as other people do. But I just remember it was a lot of stuff ended up being really compressed, and it did the opposite of what we wanted. Yeah, and it was, it. oddly it, enough, we ended up there's go- a lot of natural progression into AP. Yeah, and we digitally recorded uh, the second Goliath album and bounced it back to tape. Mm-hmm. Had a little bit more warmth, so I thought that was pretty interesting. We actually ended up going back to that guy just to bounce it to tape. He was like, "Why are you back here?" We're like, "Just put it on tape." and then dirtbag did the ep with drew cyphers who is 
really good. He's down in Atlanta. Okay. And he recorded uh, who's the band? Um, oh my god, really good front woman bass player. I'll have to dig it up. I think he put out uh, what's the guy's name? Another guy in Atlanta. Um, we're just. I'll think of it in a little bit. Exactly. But insert name here. <laughs> yeah. But I know he's put it. They've they've gotten some real good traction. I'll, I'll think of it in a minute. But uh, he was. He was really good and fun to work with. And then... Did he have a tape machine or did y'all do digital with him too? We did digital with him. Nice. And then, let's see, who else did I go to? Of course, Basement Studios. So, yeah, that was kind of the gamut of it. And now now Fifth Man, I mean. So, the the thing we like about Steve is Steve's not money hungry. Right. Right, he does it for the music. So... Is it the most comfortable environment? No, we're all, you know, we're it's in tiny. This, it's tiny. Mm-hmm. But the thing I like about it, what we're going to do with the gray rollers is we're going to actually go there without songs finished. Right. And we are going to work on an album or work on songs in a studio, which is something I haven't done yet because it's expensive. It is. With um, regular studios, yeah, for sure. And we're still fledgling studio too. Royal Thunder. I just thought of them. He did Royal Thunder? Yeah. Drew right Cyphers did Royal Thunder. Really good couple of records. Hell yeah, man. No, I, and I, I was kind of curious on, because since you have been, you know, in the really nice studios and then, you know, the uncomfortable niceness of Steve's, he doesn't listen to the show anyway, so. Um, what, <laughs> he would say the same. Oh, yeah. of course. What, what would you say is more conducive to a creating environment? Just people around you. I think regardless of the area. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think a little bit of tension does help because if you have a yes man, there's no uh, extra input on some of the songs. It's just one of those deals where like uh, before I knew what I was doing as far as arranging, like say the first album, Alex had all the songs ready and say, and said, Hey, this goes like this, this and this, and here's this, that, and the other. It was very, uh, contrived before mm-hmm. I joined the band because right. I was late to it. Right. But it's so much different than, but I enjoy the creative process of actually like throwing out ideas and just building a puzzle out of it and saying yes or no to certain things. And it took me a while to embrace that. Yeah. And to connect everything back together, that came from me wanting to build a brand. I yeah. wanted to make sure that there was a certain sound portrayed again, what you were saying, no chances taken for that first record. Right. You know? And then after that, I felt more comfortable being like, okay, Y'all know the sound? Cool. Start writing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> I don't know, because I almost I almost enjoy the, the tighter space a bit more. When we were at the studio where it was real, you know, big, of course, we walk in, you know, we feel like we got big nuts. It's like, oh, this place is nice. Right. Chilling on the couch, eating a little food, you know, you know, chilling like that as they're tracking, you know, just living it, you know, large. But... Then we went back to Steve's and recorded a little bit more, and there was just a certain feel to it. So I feel like that, you know, God willing, or, you know, biggest dreams ever, we finally get a little stack of money, and they're like, you know, hey, you get to record anywhere. Sure, I may want to go check out a place or two, but I still feel that I would still want to go to Steve's or have a place like Steve's. I mean, if I had all the money in the world to go record uh, with anybody, I would pick two or three. That would be on my bucket list. Yeah, of course. We're not kissing Steve's ass saying, we have all the money in the world. We'd stay with Steve. But (laughs) with the idea and the feeling that that studio gets, I feel that that's going to be the most conducive for actually getting across a good product because... 
I feel that when artists are surrounded by yes men, their writing kind of goes downhill. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Stale, yeah. I I did record with one other. I didn't mean to leave him out. I just can't remember his name. He was in Camden, South Carolina, mm-hmm. but I he runs sound at Amos's. I've seen him doing a couple videos from there, and he recorded the second Goliath album, and that's the one that ended up charting. Right. Uh, that one had a little bit more organic feel to it musically vocally i think it was you know they doctored up my voice a little bit more than i wanted it to so you, ev- you wouldn't admit that for a long time i heard yeah. it immediately so everything's got it <laughs> like i don't know why or how um so I, my vote my voice was at the top of its game back then so yeah you were actually talking to me because i remember distinctly there was a time we were at the milestone together and you were just kind of chit-chatting about stuff, and I was wanting to improve my own vocals. And you were actually telling me stuff that you were teaching yourself before going in and doing the final track. So right. I even know that your headspace was in the, I want to be at the top of my game. Right. I don't know, whatever. I mean, that's the thing when you're bouncing around between multiple studios. they're You're new to them. Yeah. Yeah, different people, different dynamic, and the producer's got to adapt to your personality and... It's a whole thing. Where's the line? Because, of course, the producer is there as the, you know, non-emotional third party to be saying, oh, that's great, or this sucks. Where is the line for a producer of changing a song or modifying a song, at least in your eyes? Uh, Depends on what the client asks. A lot of times the client will be like, oh, I want to do it like this, this, and this. And I would say that most artists kind of go in with a mind frame with of a mind this frame, is how I want it to be done. But Steve kind of does the right thing, too. He says, do you want to do it like uh, this or do you want to be produced? And if they say they want to be produced, then he's going to produce. Right. It's pre-established for sure. And you need to pre-establish it. Mm-hmm. You need to say, what are the what are the barriers to this? Uh, but the buck should always stop with the band. Right. If right. they want... If they demand X, Y, and Z, 10 of you can think it sucks, but if the band likes it, they have to, they fall on that sword anyways. How, how often do you feel that you have to kind of get any producer to kind of step back and go, you know, okay, it's y'all's deal. Has there been anything that you've felt like you had to boogie on a little more than you should have? We did one with uh, Kelsey uh, not too long ago. I'll give uh, Steve as an example where we were just button hit, where uh, she was button heads with him. Mm-hmm. And I, but from me working with Steve personally for so long, we butted heads a hundred times and nine times out of 10, he just wants to do one or two suggestions and chances are one or two of those suggestions is right. And if it's, and if it's not, he'll own up to it. Yeah. I don't know. I think you're going to get the producer that, is charging by the hour is going to let you go on and on because when you're when you're struggling, mm-hmm. time's a wasting. Yeah, it's very time. And consuming. there's some producers that are like ching Cool for, for people that don't record on a regular basis. It's one of the most tedious things ever. Right. <laughs> so I think there's some producers that are going, go at your own pace. It's your dime. Yeah. Then there's other producers are going, look, this isn't going anywhere. You need to fix this. Right. That's where Steve is because Steve's like that he wants to put out what he wants to put out in terms of what he likes so i think maybe some of the things i've run into issue with and i don't know if maybe you come from the same mindset and i know that cap doesn't but like when i go in with like a creative idea for me i go through a lot of filtration before i wind up spitting out an idea so it's like i may have 10 songs that i've been working on but i'll show two of them because i feel the most confident about these two so that by the time we get to the studio we've thought through things so much to where it's like 
we feel this is what it needs to roll with. Right. And I'm then starting say, to get better about that with a lot of ideas recorded. and Right. But, but I'm saying like maybe they're maybe a lot more easy and easygoing and kind of flow with things to allow things to change where I have like this audio in my head. Now, my goal is to get what I hear in my head to let everyone else hear. So, you have so when whole... someone else goes, no, 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 I think we need to change the intro to the song. That's almost that proverbial record scratch. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it's not. Wait, what? No, no, we're not changing that. That's we, We've been doing this for the past six months exactly like this. I have it in my head. I've been writing the music video for it. I see the promo video. If we change this, it changes the whole time. I don't know if it's going to fit in this uh, list of the songs now. I mean, we might have to <laughs> just fuck oh, the whole thing up. There's a lot going on in your brain there. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've done a lot of pre-pro ourselves lately. <laughs> I don't know, and that's maybe why I was curious on where your line was on a producer kind of going, we need to change something in a song, or how dedicated you are to an idea when you go in. As far as that end, uh, before you finish, Tony, uh, I was going to say, I think it depends on how uh, well confident of an arranger you are. Well, I think I look at the people that either pushed me or had me do things I didn't want to do. I end up liking the product. Okay. So that helps. There's only maybe one or two songs on past albums where I'm going, uh, and actually it was a, a band member that convinced me to change it, not the producer. Really? And so I, I think uh, most of the time, if it's a, a good producer, they care about what, what you're doing, they've pushed me to get better in, in certain areas, and I end up really like it. So I, no, I have I, a little bit more trust say, than I probably and did. And if you butt heads with anybody and you like the result that it got you, then... Yeah. That's the most beneficial thing that can happen to you. you learn from it. Yeah. No, and I would agree with that. And I'm definitely I'm trying to get better at that because I think that's just something that we all just kind of, I wouldn't say we all, I don't want to put a blanket term on it, but Cre- something that a, lot of, that a lot of creative minds struggle with is having someone kind of go in and go, but we're going to change this. I know you've been crafting this, but we're going to change it because it's better. <laughs> creative minds are very fragile. <laughs> <laughs> Especially drummers. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we have never been. They're not creative. They just bang shit. <laughs> just kidding. No, I think you do have to be a certain amount of uh, fucked in the head to be able to um, play music. <laughs> As Tony's sitting here going, I don't have any problems. I don't know what you're talking. I'm about. good. I'm, a, I'm not a musician. I'm a singer. <laughs> oh, that's a musician. You're using your voice as an instrument. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Damn it. I want to give you more shit on that. <laughs> Quit being so nice, Tony. <laughs> no, but hopefully, because again, speaking of drummers, we might finally be able to get our shit rolling. Yes. Put it back in the, I've been fully believing on the speaking things into existence, so we're speaking it again. That's right. Yeah, it looks like it's going to come Now it's on record. Yeah. It's on record again that we're going to finally get some music going ourselves and finally fill this rock and roll void that we've been feeling like is missing. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Go against the trend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you either like it or you're not. I'm just saying we're just doing we're just doing this for us. I'll be excited to see what we also create because we're going to be doing the, the Goliath song, some of our favorite uh, stuff that has inspired everything we do, mm-hmm. and then we've all kind of dedicated to write a couple too. So that'll be really interesting to see how that turns out. I'm very curious, and yeah, starting a band. I'm playing guitar again. I get to get That's that right. rock and roll guitar void filled a little bit too. Showcasing cap, and we're gonna do uh, say, would you say Goliath songs and. 
uh, some some of our favorite Scandinavian songs. Uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna be a Scandinavian <laughs> <songs>. cover band. <laughs> <laughs> no, and talking about writing a song or two and just creative minds. That's something I'm really looking forward to because yep. I've I've all, of course considered you a close friend, a brother, family member for years, and you know. As weird as it says, you know, your music has inspired me for writing my own music because, you know, you are just a great frontman and vocalist. So the chance to finally be able to write something with you well, is going to be really fun. It's going to be good. And we don't know what's going to sound like yet. We haven't gotten in a room, but that'll happen here pretty soon. And uh, who knows? Maybe some of these riffs I've saved might work. I can't wait. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. We don't even have a name for it yet. I don't know. Do we? Kind of. We, we kind of have one. We have a working title. We have a working title. <laughs> there you go. We were actually, I will talk about that again off mic because that was something the two of us were right. talking about in the car on the way over. Because Oh, right on. <laughs> might want to keep it. We have a few ideas on why we might want to keep it, though. Okay. <laughs> why do you think this sort of rock and roll has inspired us so much, especially the Scandinavian rock? Because we have access to it now. That's true. And think about if those bands didn't allow the the digital downloads and shit. Imagine yeah. if, if they wanted to rebel against that stuff so hard as to go, we are only going to release our stuff on CD. We wouldn't be able to listen to this right. stuff and get inspired by it. Oh, it's like the perfect blend of stuff I like. Mm. You know, hard rock and punk kind of. Do you think that's a trend for them or do you think they're just genuinely in it and have never left it? I don't, the, a lot of the people that we like over there, uh, you know, your, your helicopters, your uh, Nick Anderson's, your Turbo Negros, they've been around for like over 20 for, years yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. They got some serious staying power. I mean, helicopters are like the GNR over there. I mean, they're, it's. Yeah. And airborne is just like just massive over the yeah. festival circuit now too. It's just it's so much fun. It's such good songwriting. And it's a shame they don't come to the States all that much. I know Hank Von Hell's coming uh, here pretty soon. He's doing like club dates uh, on the East Coast of the U.S. Yeah. So I really want to catch that because who knows how long that's ever going to happen again. Right. Why do we not want to support that sort of thing? Because clearly the reason they don't come over here is because like what you just said, Hank Von Hell is playing Exposure. club Exposure. There's not enough people to know about it. Why are people not aware of it? Because people don't share it. Do you not think that there's really a market for it anymore? And why is that? You don't don't it, people still want that release of a good loud rock and roll show? It feels like there's kind of like just a niche market, uh, especially here in the states. I mean, we've kind of found a little community of people that buy all these records and are aware of these bands. It's almost like the Turbo Negro fan club, right? Where it's like spread out, but it's still a pretty small community, like a cult following of of sorts. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I guess we'll see. <laughs> and, on, and on that note, I guess we might as well dig on into those Spotify playlists for all these great bands that we do get to listen to and figure out what the hell we've been listening to. What you listening to, son? I don't think you like it. Well, why not? I like this new generation of music. <laughs> Where did you record this? I bought it at the mall. What that person on your tape has is a medical disorder. What you been listening to, son? <laughs> You're like, I get to do it now. <laughs> Can I do a twofer? <laughs> do a twofer. <laughs> All right, Cap, what you been listening to, sir? I went and checked this band out uh, uh, here in town a couple of weeks ago. They're called Tommy and the Commies, and I've been listening to their debut record, and... Eight songs, about 30 minutes long. UK punk as fuck. It's about damn near perfect. Oh, word. If you uh, paired them up with wildlife, it would be the best show ever. <laughs> really? So they're, they're definitely in that kind of Oh, yeah. Sound. Word. What would you definitely say some of your favorite song quality on there? Definitely check out uh, 
permanent fixture devices check out the whole damn record <laughs> but those are my two favorite tracks that are on it cool we'll definitely add some to the playlist because we're still trying to keep that updated we've got the something good for you spotify music playlist over five hours of music you can find that in the show and notes. counting yes and counting as we keep finding these cool ass bands to throw in which I mean, that's why you can even call up the hotline tell us some cool bands yeah, on that way. Drive some traffic. Speaking of, a lot of bands that you've turned me on to, Tony, like Reno Divorce and yep. of the sort, we have in the Spotify playlist. So tell us some more shit to enjoy. So this one will be a hate it or love it band. Okay. At, and honestly, at first, I was, I was a leave it on this. But I gave it another shot, The Struts. Struts. I've heard them. Have any, any get? Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm still in the. Nah, maybe I'll check them out yeah. some other point. But I have seen them live, kind of. And when I say kind of, I was at Carolina Rebellion uh, last year, and I watched their set. Uh, their set. I on, think uh, one of the projection screens. I saw them. I saw them live on a big festival, and it's not a good festival band because it's weird. It's this power pop rock. And band. they're a great live band too. They have yeah. like a, they have a ton of energy, and it's like a punk rock queen or some shit yes. like that. And the guy's voice is amazing. So okay. I really dug back in. And you know what? If you just kind of like throw it all away and go, it's just fun. Mm -hmm. It's just fun. Okay. And so the album Young and Dangerous is what I've been digging into. Uh, again, guy's voice is amazing. They're just a good fun band. So I'm kind of on to take it with with the struts currently all right not like in love i'm not gonna but they're coming through town i'll probably go see them the other one is is my twofer because i don't come here all that often and <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the soul side theo katzman theo katzman theo katzman were you talking were you telling me about him uh, yesterday i think so theo katzman is someone that popped up on one of those you may like on, on YouTube and I went down the, the wormhole and you were like fuck it I'll give it a yep. shot and he's got an album called Heartbreak Hits that came out in 2017 and it's just phenomenal he's, it's really some stuff about him being a heroin addict and good good breakup songs and love it's just but his voice he's got this amazing falsetto incredible band uh, and I just bought his double live vinyl because I heard that the band that he took on the road to Europe was like was pretty awesome. A plus plus. So I just bought their double live vinyl, and I'm looking forward to that coming in the mail. Theo Katzman, yeah. right? Theo Katzman, K A T Z M A N. Theo Katzman. Excellent. No, I've been, and because while saying even in the last episode, I just haven't been listening to a lot of punk lately. I've been just enjoying some 60s and 70s rock, and I think some some good soul would be something to throw in that playlist as a little something different. So. Yep. Definitely check that out. Putting out a country soul record here before too long. Oh, you? <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah, that could oh. <laughs> I was going to say, I guess that would be a good way to describe the Kelsey record. Steve came up with it. <laughs> I dig it. Well, what I've been listening to this week, and I've been listening to for a little longer than a week, but I had to keep that on the down low. And the song that's going to be playing at the end of this episode is a brand new track from The Stir called Sweet. Kaiser. It is tasty. It is tasty as shit. I, these guys are getting ready for a new release. Uh, they've got another song coming out maybe in about a month or so. So definitely check the song out at the end of this episode. And while you're at it, go back and listen to their debut EP from 2018. We've raved about it. Some of the earlier episodes, it's got stuff like Pedagogue, Night Shift, uh, Twice Dead, even Wrong Way, which is a good slow one, but it's just 
I've said it a million times. Andrew's voice is just fucking great. I can't get enough of that shit. And the recordings just get better and better each time, too. Madison Records, yeah. They've done a bunch of cool artists, including Zale, which we've done a show with. Actually, our first Atlanta show was with Zale. Yeah, over at Star Bar. That's right. (laughs) Well, Cap, what's some of our housekeeping, since you always fuss at me for breezing right over Uh, it? On the day this uh, episode drops, we will be playing a set at the Milestone. So if you're listening to this on the day it drops, get your butts out to the Milestone tonight. Oh, yeah, that is true. It would be coming out that exact day. Excellent. Yeah, so come on out to the milestone. We're playing with the War Boys and Bless the Dead and the Wallburns, and it's going to be really fucking fun. After that, we do have the show at The Rim on May 25th. Details. Rest of the set to be announced. Yes. <laughs> we'll go up there and play by our fucking selves if we have to. There's that one band, TBA, that's on every bill that I see on Facebook. <laughs> hey, we like playing with TBA. They're awesome. TBA. <laughs> it took me a minute and I was like, who the hell is that? <laughs> Tony, what you got going on in your world? You got anything to push out there and tell the people to pay attention to? Well, I think, like I said, we're gonna I'm going to push the boys and the grave rollers to actually take a different tactic on songwriting. And we're going to take... The three-quarter songs, we have like four three-quarter songs, and we're going to finish all of them in the studio Word. Uh, just to shake up the writing process a little bit because Steve's nice enough to let that happen. He called it the the $100,000 budget to just put out the good stuff. So that, other than that, got a show May 11th down there at Tipsy Burrow. Oh, with... Davy Dirt's new band, Milkweed. Oh, oh fuck yeah. 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 I didn't know they were ready to start playing. Yeah, shows. they're gonna they they got enough for a set, so we'll see. And it's gonna be a good benefit. Cause for those who don't know the history, when Dirtbag was really starting to get going, Dave's little sister passed away from brain cancer, and right before she passed away, she wanted to start a foundation for families who have to take time off work. You know, it's expensive to just have lunch every day at the hospital to park i mean there's just so many minor expenses so emily's kids foundation uh supplies money in the form of gift cards for parents who are uh having to spend lots of time away from work and eating uh at the restaurants downstairs it still costs money to be with their kids so uh, in honor of her we're gonna have davy dirt's new band the grave rollers will be out there at tipsy borough may 11th should be a good time excellent now i really wish we'd go out there but that's gonna be our recording day (laughs) probably come out there at night if we're not crushing it at 11 at night or whatever yeah. <laughs> understood <laughs> but no we'll uh if there is any sort of information on that we'll definitely throw that in the show notes i'll hit up davy and get him to send me any info cool. or you can send me info on the event we'll definitely throw that out there and get people involved and get them interested because um actually in goliath we played a benefit for emily's kids one That's time right. at bike rally so yeah nice yeah, so we definitely want to keep supporting that cause as much as we can. That is something good for you. And Cap, do you have a fucking outro for us? Uh, please. Any politicians listening, don't ruin Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Right.
He's getting better at his outros. Uh, that's awesome. I spent like the entire like uh, past five minutes thinking, like, oh god, I got to say something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the funny. only time he has to prepare for the show, and he thinks about it five minutes before he has to do it. There's yeah. a radio station that does. Uh... This has been another amazing production from the Cult of Dave Podcast Network. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.